Well, thanks, Michael, and thanks, Evan, for, for joining me for the, the first ever Always Bet on Node.js. Still working on the name. You know, let's call it Untitled for now. Today, I'm joined by Michael Rogers and Evan Toller. I'm Dan Shaw, also known as D. Shaw, Node.js at large right now. Michael, what are you up to? Want to introduce yourself to everybody? Sure, sure. I'm Michael Rogers. Uh, <laughs> I've been around a while doing stuff. I guess now my now my day job is at Samsung Next, which is like the innovation side of Samsung. So it's my role is like kind of like half venture capital, half like you know EIR, building out kind of demos and things that we might spin out into companies and things like that. EIR for for those who don't know what what the acronym stands for. Oh, Entrepreneur in Residence. Um, right on. Evan, what about yourself? Hi, I'm Evan Toller. In the Node world, I am probably best known for the Action Hero framework and a bunch of tools around that, Node Rescue and Elastic Dump. And my day job these days is I work for Airbus and I help run a project trying to get folks on helicopters uh, in Latin America and other places called Voom. Boom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very cool. I you know brought both of you together to you know really discuss what Michael laid out in a great Medium post called Modern Modules. Michael, do you want to sort of lay out the the, the high level? I mean, it's a, an epic piece, pretty long. If you could just sort of you know give folks who haven't gone and read it and like everybody like go read it. But the TLDR, Michael. Yeah, I mean, what it really comes down to is, you know, I stopped writing as much code for quite a while. And I was writing mostly, you know, markdown governance and stuff like that when I was running the Node.js Foundation. and was thinking a lot about kind of big project sustainability issues. That was kind of my main focus. And I wasn't as focused on kind of small module maintenance. And of course, I had like all of my own small module maintenance, like I wrote requests. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a bit, <laughs> people use that. Um, and, you know, there's a bunch of other modules that the people also use. And, and to very in degrees, I'm like good or not good at some of, at a lot of these different things. But yeah, as I kind of pulled out of that and I've been tackling new stuff, both at Samsung Next and, and in my own kind of personal time, the way that I come at problems is, is I break them into a bunch of small components. And so there's a bunch of, you know, smaller open source modules going out there. And in the back of my head this whole time was, you know, how am I going to maintain this? How am I going to maintain this? <laughs> I can't have like another, you know, giant module that a lot of people depend on again. So how do I, you know, reduce the the burden of that, at least until it gets to a size where it can attract and probably main, like keep around other maintainers. So um, first, a lot of my thoughts kind of went to, okay, what do we need to adopt in terms of practices and automation to just really, really remove a lot of the maintenance burden for these small modules as they, as they start to grow? And I ended up coming, you know, becoming a big convert to a lot of the stuff that the Hoodie team has built out, which I used to think was kind of overkill, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so there's a couple projects. One is uh, called Semantic Release. And basically... I didn't realize you know, Semantic Release came out of the Hoodie team. Yep, right yep, yep. Yeah. It's all hoodie folks. Okay. Yeah, they're all right maintaining on. that. Cool. And yeah, yeah. And and basically the premise with semantic release is that, you know, if you have good enough tests and you have, you know, proper meta information and of course validation on that meta information for the commits coming in, you should just be able to automate the entire release process. So every time a fix comes in, it should be marked up that way and the test should go. And then once it's merged, like just put out a new release. And so it hooks into Travis and, and some other stuff and just and, and automatically publishes everything to NPM, which is great. You know, it, it takes the burden off of, you know, the one person that's the publisher until you add other publishers. It, you know, and now anybody that can check into GitHub can get something published. And it, it, it 
pushed me to get to 100% test coverage in new modules. That's really, I mean, I, I just don't think that it's practical for me to go back and get to 100% test coverage with like request. Right. Um, right, but I right. really do wish that early on I had 100% and then had a test that validated 100%. And as people added new stuff, we maintained that. <laughs> it's one of those things that like, it's really easy to maintain 100% code coverage as the project is growing. It's like really hard to get there once you're, you're past a particular point. So, yeah, so all of these modules have been, you know, using those practices, a lot of different scripts for, you know, helping you look at coverage and helping you write nice commit messages and all that kind of stuff. So really just using automation to get a lot of the, the burden and the cleanup kind of stuff out of the way. So that was one thing that I really dug into. The next was that, you know, I was using only really using Node.js version 8. And as a result, was kind of playing around with some of the new features like async await. And I started to realize pretty so quickly. At the, at the time of this recording, this is Node current, right? So, um, you know, isn't it LTS different. now? Or is, is that we're about month? to go to we're about to go to L, LTS, but you know, so yeah, no, yeah. you know, while you've been doing this, you 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 were using the, the, the current branch, and yeah, yes, we're about to yes, head to yes, LTS. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. But you know, like I, these are brand new modules. I figure by the time that you know anybody starts using them, other than me, you know, version eight will be much more widely deployed. So. So yeah, I could I could just kind of use these these language features and you know not really worry about older versions. And as you start to just only or, or really just use anywhere async await, you start to realize how different it makes your code. <laughs> um, in in particular, there's a lot of modules and practices around let's say like array iteration, right? Like like doing a map but an, an async map over some data. Or, or iterating through some async things until you hit a particular point. Because these are, you know, wrapped in callbacks and all of these kind of future functions, you can't use the regular language features like a while loop to get through something like that, right? Which means that you can't use early return to kind of stop iteration. And, you know, you, you don't have a lot of tools in your tool basket. And so you end up using a lot of more abstractions. And so I realized really quickly, like, oh, wow, actually, you know, now we just have these return values and now we just have the rest of the language. Oh, and by the way, all of those, all of that marshalling and, and weird stuff that we needed to do around various error and end states, that's also over. Because, you know, when, when the function finishes, it's done. And if it errors, it throws. And then now it works basically like the rest of the language, right? And so that, that led me down the path of like, oh, wow, we have, we have a lot of... We have a lot of stuff to change in the node ecosystem. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not just a matter of, you know, I thought for a second, you know, maybe it's just a matter of, of promisifying things, right? Of wrapping things in promises. Or, or even, you know, like there's a lot of focus right now on like, you know, core should have promises on every API and da-da-da. And it's like, you know, when, when an API throws as its false value, that's very different than giving you an error in a callback. Like you can handle, you can gracefully handle an error in a callback without a try catch around it. And so a lot, we were very, we've been very liberal about what is an error and not really worrying about that, you know, throwing and stuff like that. Like, I mean, and um, we've also basically buried, you know, try catch in the language. Like we just, right. you know, don't in a synchronous callback land. Right, right, right. So, so, you know, to, to come, to come back now, like, you know, I want to check if a, if a file is there. I, I want a true false value. I don't want an error. I don't want it to throw if there's not a file there. <laughs> and so there's it, it, there's more rethinking than just kind of wrapping everything in promises. That there there's definitely like a lot of ergonomics that we need to consider changing. 
Yeah, I mean that that's that those are some of the main things and then we, you know, there's some general practices like the the browser has really changed over the since we started node. That that's another one. I mean, things are just dramatically different. And in some ways one is that a lot of things that we thought that the browser would get better at, it it actually didn't. And so we we can kind of we kind of know now that they're never going to get good at that. And also the browser has a bunch of new primitives now. But because you have different browser versions, and da, 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 the polyfills have gotten really out of control for Node APIs. So it's starting to make a lot more sense to write modules to the browser API and polyfill them in Node instead of the other way around. So that's the. I love that. I love that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 makes a ton of sense. And you know, I I think that that points to the maturity of Node platform. And as we are forming Node. And you know, building out the needs of Node, we, you know, we just apply our needs to the other you know ecosystems out there, and you know, we're doing this, and we'll take that over there. One of the big things that I, I see us benefiting from in, in the in the near future is beginning to, to collaborate more cross you know platform, and we've done so TC39 and you know with the underlying VM. We had some great, great collaboration there, and flipping that and you know polyfilling from the browser will mean starting from browser-based principles first and digesting those needs and then integrating them into you know Node and the server side. I think there's there's something more than just you know it's a smaller file size. There's a there's a there's a collaboration there, and there's an understanding of the the standards and the norms you know across the platforms that we we can integrate better. And you know if we now have this level playing field of you know shared browser and Node.js you know, the module system and async await. So, you know, we're using the language in the same way. I think that's going to be facultative to, to, to making that you know really compelling. I mean, I, I think that we do need to stay realistic about how much we can collaborate and how much impact we can make. So I, I at the language level, we, we can, we can basically, I, I think that we can collaborate on pretty much everything. Like as far as TC39 goes, like they have a very good process. We have really good people there. Things are going quite well. Once you're out of the TC39 box, once you're in the rest of the web platform and things that go through the what WG and the W3C, that's a lot harder. A lot of the, I mean, TC39 has been iterating on this process and just getting much better kind of as a standards body for the last decade, at least. And a lot of things that, that, you know, have really like annoyed me or upset me that they've done, like, like they agreed on the module spec way too early, right? Like without, without having even like a test implementation in Node.js, like that's crazy, but that's the exact kind of thing that is actually not allowed anymore. (laughs) Like, like they have a whole staging system now where, you know, you have to have a certain number of implementations and people like get to weigh in and we have people that weigh in. So just something like that wouldn't happen, right? Like it was a lot of work to unwind that and get to a place where we could implement modules. And in the future, that's just going to go like much smoother. The only gains that are being made in the WG slash W3C are being made by specific individuals and how they choose to go about their standard. There isn't a lot of institutional change going on. That's going to be difficult. Also, like I've become pretty critical. So we used to think that 
eventually we were going to get really low level primitives, much low level, the more level going now. What web platform people think is low level is not what we would consider low level from, from node. <laughs> um, like there's still a lot of crazy kind of magic going on and they have, you know, there is a movement within those web standards to not to do much more low level APIs instead of higher level ones, but still their notion of what's going on. So a good example is like, you know, streams are a big part of node and streams are really this abstraction around what could be considered a file descriptor. And then there's a lot of sort of, there's a lot of signaling and states that go on related to the underlying flow control mechanisms. Something like that, we're never going to get out of the browser. It's just never going to happen. Every time that they given a low-level interface for any kind of data, it has excluded that kind of information. And so if we want to do streams in the browser, we need to start thinking a little bit differently. This was kind of my last point, but streams in Node have a lot of problems. Like, you know, everybody who was involved in the early days has kind of moved on. One, I mean, the backwards compatibility is really painful, but I think the biggest mistake is that we didn't have, I mean, we, even regular generators didn't exist in the language when we first wrote streams. And now we're looking at async iterators, which are much, much better. And can. And when you look at kind of the way that an async iterator works is that you just kind of have these like async awaited read calls. And because the, the read end is pulling data, you don't need any signaling about what the flow control state is. It's not going to try to do another read until one finishes. <laughs> And so the other side where you're kind of like preparing data to be read, you can decide how much you're going to buffer or not. And you don't need a lot of like all of, I mean, the amount of code that we have to make streams reliable is crazy. I'm not just talking about a node core, which is, Oh yeah. That's messy. We we had like our, our internal definitions of streams were, you know, 20 times more, more complex than anything that was, uh, was, you know, sort of publicly released. Like all the additional flow control, you know, streaming audio uh, across the internet. I mean, in the ecosystem, like it's not, it's not just core, it's, you know, you've got duplexify and through two and pump in there and, and, you know, I, I spent hours debugging an issue that was like, oh, it closed. It closed and, <laughs> and, and, and writes don't error. And so it's just swallowing mm-hmm. everything. Right. And, and you're, you're literally stepping through just like you know, thousands of lines of code that are there to manage all of these states that are actually unnecessary. Especially, you know, once we get stuff like async iterators. So, you know, the, the way that I've been working on this lately is just scaling everything down to raw read calls. And, you know, so in basically in the browser, it's just doing this uh, async await read. And then the next time that it needs one, it does it the same. And yeah, there's a library so that I wrote called Z. Right. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, there, there's a library that I wrote called Zenode <laughs> that does like a RPC. And so it can just expose a read method. But yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, once you remove streams and callbacks, what's left of the node platform that doesn't need to be changed? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't think that we can really underestimate like the, the size of shift that we're talking about. And, you know, luckily we don't need like a big, you know, in- incompatible breaking change everywhere. But this is a, a big, big change for the ecosystem to go through. DigitalOcean has just launched Spaces a beautifully simple object storage service designed for developers who want a simple way to store and serve a vast amount of data, including hosting web assets, storing user-generated content such as images and large media files, archiving backups in the cloud, and storing logs. They've simplified the essentials of object storage to save you time. Name your space and tap create, and you're ready to go in seconds. 
or use your favorite storage management tools and libraries. A large ecosystem of S3-compatible tools and libraries can be used to manage your space. We believe in simplifying our products to enable developers to build great software. To do that, we look at every opportunity to remove friction from the development process, including spending less time estimating costs associated with storage, transfer, pricing tiers, number of requests, and regional pricing. Spaces is available for a simple $5 per month and includes 250 gigabytes of storage and 1 terabyte of outbound bandwidth. There are no costs per requests and additional storage is priced at the lowest rate available. 1 cent per gigabyte transferred and 2 cents per gigabyte stored. Uploads are free. Spaces provides cost savings for up to 10 times along with predictable pricing and no surprises on your monthly bill. To make it easy to try, both new and existing DigitalOcean customers can get started with a free two-month trial of Spaces by going to do.co slash nodeup. Well, let me, let me make sure we get Evan in here. One of the, the, the reasons why we, we have Evan here today is to, to share the experience of, you know, he's been working on evolving Action Hero into, you know, this, this current paradigm. And it, it's been a dramatic shift for him. Evan, do you want to sort of lay out, maybe for folks that aren't familiar with Action Hero, you know, start by touching on what Action Hero does and then the impact of async await as it applies to evolving that, that module, the framework. Absolutely. Well, first, I just want to say that conversation was fascinating to me because I'm coming from the world from kind of the other end. I'm not involved in any technical committees. I'm purely an application developer. And the most magical experience I've had with JavaScript in the past couple months has actually been at the way totally other end of the world, which is some of the React Native work, which does use Node, which does use JavaScript. And they've really gone all in on async await. They've really gone all in on some of the more modern language features. Just like Mikel was saying, like I thought promises were nice, but never really used them. Action Hero never really used them. But when I was able to do networking on my phone using fetch, somehow they made a polyfill like that makes Xcode use the browser APIs. And I can just wrap that because it's a promise in async await and just do all of my network error handling. Like you're disconnected, you came to the server with a try catch. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Right? <laughs> like what turned, what used to be like hundreds of lines of code, like are you connected? Can you reach the server? Is the cert valid? Is the API returning okay? Is it a 400? Is it a 500? I'm like, no, just try. Okay, catch it. It's an error. Flash it on the screen. Done. Three lines. I'm like, this is the best thing in the entire world. And once I did that, then I'm like, okay, I never really bought into CoffeeScript. I never really bought into Promises. But the same thing, sync await thing, like now I'm finally, now I understand where we're trying to get to with all these underlying pieces that got there. Like Promises were a building block for async await. And now the world is just awesome. So coming back down from my React Native experiences, I was like, okay, this is amazing. This is astounding. How can we use this in Action Hero? The point of Action Hero, it's, it's actually a pretty old server uh, for Node. It's been around for maybe five, six years at this point. But the underlying premise is you can write, we use the word actions, but they're probably controllers if you're coming from the web, or they're probably transformers if you're coming from like a game networking library. And because Node is awesome, it can handle all these different types of communication. You can write a controller that you know handles logins or checks if you're authenticated. And it can work on WebSockets, it can work for HTTP requests, it can work for raw TCP requests, 
people have built all sorts of different types of servers in it. I've seen XML RPC call servers. I've seen SOAP servers even. I know the uh, one of the one of the bigger users of Action Hero for a while was actually the the VA, the hospital system for veterans, and they had to speak to a number of different kind of legacy databases, and they just had to write their kind of control logic once, and Action Hero just spit out whatever the right protocol they was they uh, they wanted. So that's the main point of Action Hero. It also does background tasks and some other things. But if you look inside of Action Hero's current branch, there's a lot of callback hell. There's a lot of spaghetti to kind of normalize all these connection types to just a a homogeneous connection object. And there's a lot of try-catching, and sometimes we throw, and sometimes we return error objects. And just like Mikhail was saying, like if you can do that right with async or wait, one, it makes everything cleaner. It makes everything infinitely more debuggable and, and standardized. It just solves a bunch of problems. Like we had a test suite that for a WebSocket, we use the Primus library, which is awesome, which kind of abstracts different WebSocket transporters. But in there, like there's a number of different ways things can go wrong that you have to kind of test for. And if we can just do it in a try catch, we save 30 lines of code and it's far more readable. Once we realized how much better async await made managing this framework, we had to make a really hard choice which was how backwards compatible do we want to be? And this is where Mikhail's article really struck me because you, you took the position from the beginning that like we probably need to rewrite a lot of stuff, which was the really painful conclusion we came to kind of on our own, which is why it really resonated with me, which was at some point you got to draw a line in the sand and be like, okay, this is worth it. Sorry, everybody in the past, <laughs> right? You're, you're going to be left behind. And yeah, that's, and that's what we're in the middle of right now. We have a branch called Promises Promises, named after the 80s song. We're, I don't know, maybe 80% of the way through just getting it working at all. And then we have all of our related libraries to, to start upgrading as well, all of our examples and things like that. So it's going to be a slog. It's going to take a couple of months to do, but we, we think it's going to be worth it, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, so I, haven't seen, I mentioned like the the module API surface area, you know, changing dramatically. And that, like e- even the second time that you described this to me, I still hear module surface area, the, the, the external API changing. But like last time I sort of pressured you on that, you know, you, you said, no, it doesn't really change. And like, it, it seems like you're, you're, you're trying to go there again. Like how, if everything is changing so dramatically, are we not changing the API service area and the ways that the end users are, are integrating our, our modules? Yeah, so this, this is, this is the, the core of the problem. I think there's a difference between the modules API and the modules syntax. This might not make sense for all modules. Like when you're talking about request, it is a, it is a tool. It has, an, it has an API, it does one thing. Frameworks and I use the definition liberally, yes, they have an API, absolutely, but they also are like a folder structure. They're, they're a language for saying like, things in this file are eventually served as routes, right? Or things in this folder become routes, or things in this folder are middleware that is loaded that you know do something. And this, was a, this is a really hard choice, right? One of those things is staying the same. Like any file you put in a folder called actions will be loaded and become a route in your Action Hero project. That's still true. How you write them, like the the names of your properties and your objects and the classes you export are the same. But instead of your run method returning a callback and you pass an error to it or not, 
Now it's just an async method, and if anything goes wrong, you throw. That's very different. And so like, we had to make this really strange choice, which is we're, we're somewhere in between. And so when you're somewhere in between, you can go either way. You have to look at the rest of the project. And so there is value in still being called Action Hero. There is value in showing off what is still the same. And I think there's value in providing an upgrade path, which is what the users of Action Hero are going to care most about. So if we save the message, Action Hero is now dead. We're not working at it anymore. Hey, check out this new thing. That's kind of scary and strange. If we say, hey, Action Hero v... I don't know, maybe we'll even skip some December versions to make it like very clear. Like V100, like here's how you get from V17 to V100, follow this guide. That at least gives them something they can do to, to keep going with us. So that's why I still think it's the same project, but we do have to do a lot of work and communication to like, it's a hard change. It's not just like change these four lines and add a new config file and off you go. So Michael, you, you were you know, working through and, you know, modeling out a new path forward with R2, right? So it, it makes total sense that you would do that in sort of a, a, a clean space. Now that you've, you're getting closer with that module, do you see a path to, you know, R2, the R2 module being a release of requests? And if not, what, what, are the, what are the things that would keep you from doing that? Not for R2, no. Mainly because it wasn't just... Like, the entire API signature actually changed. Request is a, is a very fancy API. Um, yes, so, very overloaded. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, very yeah. Familiar, I right? mean, like, like, like what, you know, it, it may look like, oh, you could just return a promise, but, like, no, the return value of request is actually a stream. And and that stream, you know, based on what you pipe to it and pipe from it, it, it does other fancy things. Like, I knew right away that that API wasn't going to survive, like, moving into this this new space. And so instead started looking at, like, okay, well... What about like, you know, fancy property access? Like, you know, what if we, you know, await for the JSON thing and then we can then we can infer a lot of like new behavior. A lot of what request is about is inferring behavior based on what you do to the object. We're doing something very similar to that, but it looks really, really different when you're using async await. So it's not really a, a, a really like simple path for upgrades. Also, I think that for an HTTP client, it's a big difference to be built on top of fetch versus or fetch polyfill than it is like node core so a lot of like you know the the proxy support and things like that in there like you you have to kind of wonder if they make sense a lot of the signing stuff still makes sense like that'll make its way in as, as the project develops but certain parts of it probably just won't port so for that project no it's it's not yeah that's probably not the the best idea I also, you know, I was looking at Dnode. I, I've been using Dnode for a while for like remote RPC, and I was looking at like, oh, what would it take to just kind of wrap this or or make it work with promises and have something of an upgrade path? But I realized pretty quickly that you know, having a future return value changes the ergonomics of remote RPC so much that it's not actually worth it. Yeah, I, I think that you you feel this a lot more in the kind of small module space than you do in the framework space. I, I definitely agree with Evan on that one. Like, it's just it makes a, a bit less sense. There's a couple libraries that eventually maybe I'll have the time to, to <laughs> rewrite, but for now they're just kind of sticking where they are just because it, it took a long time to get them reliable. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's like, like I have a, a WebRTC Swarm library called Killabees, which is really nice, but it, it does things like it'll proxy signals through the network so that you don't actually have to do any 
sort of like out of the network signaling once you connect to one node in the network, but that requires like internal RPC and refactoring that to not use Dnode would take forever. So not doing that. Sneak is a London and Israeli company building developer-focused security tools, primarily focused on securing open source code. One in seven NPM packages carries a known vulnerability and roughly 83% of Node.js shops are using vulnerable packages. Sneak checks your dependencies against their open source vulnerability database and then helps you find, fix, prevent, and respond to any vulnerabilities in your application. If you're using GitHub, the fix can be as simple as an automated pull request that Sneak submits with the necessary fixes. You can easily integrate Sneak into a CI system like Travis or Jenkins to make sure your application is monitored continuously. Open source projects are free to monitor, and there's also a free 14-day trial for your private code. Find out more at snyk.io slash node. So, so one of the, the challenges that we have been, you know, have chosen not to really address yet has been, you know, when you have a function signature that, you know, returns a callback and then sort of, you know, request style returns a string if you aren't doing the callback flow, the conceptual overlap to what you would do with a promise in that situation where it's a promise or a stream, have we ever gotten to a point where where all three of those paradigms played nicely together in an API? I, I, I can't think of any APIs that stand out with that. There's a bunch of APIs that just return promises if you don't give it a callback. I, I think when, when they're that simple, sure. like all and when they don't have right. like overloaded... Yeah, yeah. And those play really nicely with with promises. I, I think that the, the big thing to think about here is like now we have return values. I actually don't like to think about this as a transition to promises because... Like, I mean, like I was very skeptical of promises, but, but mainly like, you know, if you, if you go and do research on like how to use promises, you're going to get a a bunch of stuff that is like, oh, okay, here's a different way to give a function that runs in the future to do your thing than callbacks, (laughs) right? Like that's what promises are until I think away, it doesn't really change like what you can have as like an inline return value and, and stuff like return early and things like that. So it is important to like, not think about this as just like promisifying the world. There, there are new APIs and some new ergonomics that we can look at shifting to as well. But you know, if, if it's easy enough to, to make your library work where you just don't, you know, pass in callback, like, great, go for it. Well, I think that's an important, like halfway step as well, right? Like as we, as you call out, we have to change so much stuff. My, there's a good library, uh, SQLize, which is uh, a database ORM, and they've always, uh, you could either give it a callback, and then at some point they added promises, which were kind of optional, and then they, they moved kind of more towards their promise-first approach, but you can still always give it a callback. And what was awesome is, if you want to use async await, because they never really thought about it that way when they built the library, but because it, they did go halfway there with the promises, it does work. It gives you something to start with, at least. Yeah, I, I think that probably a good line to look at is like you you can transition from a callback to a promise and thus async async await pretty easily. You can't transition if you use an event emitter for anything, and that includes streams. So like those just suck. <laughs> like you're yeah, like now you're now you're in a different world. And in fact, like like if you want to have an async method, for instance, that like returns a good value but relies on say like a a, a dot once or something, you're basically gonna have to like create an inline promise and resolve it at some future state and return it. Like that's a pain in the ass. 
it's 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 not fun and yeah you're you're just in for a world of hurt <laughs> that is a half of action heroes test suite right now <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so michael you you mentioned that you were leaning on you know polyfills around fetch you know t- testing some boundaries in in uh, language and platform you know do you feel any compelling reason why node would consider not polyfilling but you know embracing that is as a platform feature it's quite a bit higher level and and this is the case with pretty much all the browser apis is that they're just a bit too high level like there are things that you need to be able to do in servers and services that yeah yeah that just don't make sense for the fetch api to really offer you and the the fetch polyfill is is not small. I mean, it's it's not like a bunch of code that you would just want to add into core. And you know, and there's stuff that's still not in there. Like you know, n- none of the the fetch APIs even in the browser yet support like you know a streaming body yet. Like that's that's supposed to come later, basically. And you know, there's been a lot of churn in that space. Like there was, Dominic was working on like a, a stream spec for the browser. And it was basically like node streams, but with like more problems and then built on cancelable promises. And then cancelable promises basically got abandoned. So right, right. <laughs> so second order effect, the stream spec is abandoned. But also I think that there's just not a lot of appetite to work on that because async iterators are coming. And if async iterators are coming, then it's it's pretty easy to just add, you know, simple kind of read and write methods to things. That's that's a, a much smaller API service. And now now we're working with, you know, language features rather than you know building up these giant you know web idl interfaces in the browser we we talk about the potential need to make drastic changes across the the module ecosystem and we have a you know major sort of language level change with es modules it sounds to me like there's an opportunity to evolve together through these patterns. Is there anything that, that binds them together that, that we should keep in consideration? What, what, what do you think about ES modules as it relates to the API advantages you're seeing with async await? So I, I, I think uh, it, it's almost like every single feature that lands in the language, the more that people talk about it, the less impact it actually ends up having. Like like the things that we don't talk about end up having a much, much bigger impact. So like if, if you look at, for instance, like what the new module spec gives you, at the import side, like when you're importing other people's modules, doesn't give you anything that you don't already get with destructuring. It's just that we didn't really talk about destructuring. <laughs> like destructuring just landed in the language and people started using it. We didn't make a fuss. <laughs> so like on the on the module author side, it gives you some new syntax to do things that you can already do with Node's module system. But you you can see a future to kind of optimizing some of that as well. It doesn't really matter to you at all if you're only using Node. But you know, if you're bundling things for the browser, there, there's some there's some niceties in there. There's some some nice kind of things that are going to affect you that are going to make your life a little bit better. But is it like a world changing thing? No, no, like not at all. And and I think if anything, it kind of encourages you to do more with mo- with a module rather than less. And so I think that there might be kind of a, a little bit of a pushback on that. Th- that said, like the amount of work that it took to get the support into node is insane. <laughs> like right. yeah. it was Bradley, so hard you, to make it work. Like, yeah. forever, and I love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, yeah. Appreciate I, the hard work. I, 
Right, right. I think that it, like it is an important preventive. I'm, I'm glad that it's landing. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing it, and I do think that people will will use it. And I think that eventually, a lot of the kind of bundlers and and tooling for the ecosystem is going to get some some nice mileage out of it. But it's just like not, it, it's it's not a a big thing. It's not changing things the way that async await is. I don't. It's not even changing things the way that like template literals have changed things. Like template literals have have added you know a bunch of new API surface area to the whole ecosystem or destructuring. I mean destructuring. Like is is beautiful and saves me a lot of time and ugly code and. <laughs> Luckily, Actionero is is restricted only to Node. It doesn't make sense to have a server in a browser, at least the way we're doing it. We're we're happy with plain old require. I mean, I just agree with everything Nicole said. Like, the things that I've seen talked about most or discussed about most seem to impact me as an application developer the least. I. I absolutely agree. Like template literals, amazing. Like even multi-line strings like saved my so many hours of pain, right? And it was just so so little, so so subtle. It's like a not the main footnote of any release. But I'm like, wow, I can no longer. I don't need to plus equal my way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I'm really happy with the way the language is evolving and the way that Node is evolving along with JavaScript. Absolutely. And there's all this new stuff that's always added that. We try to take use of as as it comes forward, but things that sneak up on me, like async await, I, I usually have the most fun with, and I think they provide the most opportunity for improvement, at least at the level of work that we're doing. Yeah, I I think also I think also like one thing that we don't talk about that much because it's not going to land directly in Node, but I think is going to change a lot of things is the web component stuff. I've been using it a lot lately, and the one thing that I've noticed is that it really forces you into a more traditional kind of class oriented OO structure for a couple of kind of obvious reasons. One is that like you have to subclass element. So <laughs> your code is not a class. Um, you start then, out with that, right? Right, right. And also it's a class that like you don't, like nobody sends arguments to when it gets instantiated. So there's not even like a way to pass arguments or to wrap things in functions. Everything has to be basically set like property setters and, and kind of various future states on the element. Yeah, it just, it, it really forces forces you to have this more OO approach. And so I think that that's, that's going to shift things around a lot. But also I think that once you have, like with Shadow DOM, you have the ability to really restrict the styling and not like have anything leak. And so now we're, we're going to start to see, you know, drop in HTML components that are, you know, as easy and as, as distributed and, and modular as like node JavaScript files are, right? In fact, like, you know, in this, in this new version of roll call, like you'll, you'll literally be able to like NPM install roll call, require it, and then just put a roll call element with, with a couple properties, like in your page and it'll just work. Um, oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it gives us like this whole new area to kind of dive into, but I, I don't think that we've really assessed like what the, the pattern changes might look like. That's actually a really good point too. Like until with the conversation we're having, Action Hero went all the way back to uh, Node v4 where classes weren't present. So we never really made that much use of, of native classes. Since we're going to v8, we're like, oh, we might as well start looking at native classes. And there's all this kind of fun stuff you get. Like when you write an action, we, we have all this effort. It's, a, it's an object. It has a run method. It has some descriptive properties. And we do all this validation on it, validating the object has the right properties. But if the action was a class that you extended, you could do that in line. Like it could have, you extend a validator method along with your class. You can have a bunch of sensible defaults that you can overwrite because you're just doing the normal OO stuff. Taking a page out of React's book, they really went deep into that 
style of coding as well. It seemed to work out really well for them. So we're we're also thinking about the the class world as well with Action Hero. We try not to break too much with this first release, so we probably won't see it for a while. Being able to use the OO type of programming seems really popular with a number of our users because most of them are coming from the Java world. If you're a video game server developer or even some of the folks that are working for some of the larger enterprises that are using Action Hero, the OO type of programming is more comfortable for them. And I think that actually might help under, like down the road, draw more people to to Node in general and, and Action Hero if you can kind of mirror what they're used to. And the Ruby folks as well actually uh, seem to like that style. One of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors. Relying on users to report them, digging through log files trying to debug issues, or a million alerts flooding your inbox ruining your day. With Rollbar's full-stack error monitoring, you get the context, insights, and control you need to find and fix bugs faster, with a lot less noise. It's easy to install. You can start tracking production errors and deployment in a few minutes. Rollbar works with all major languages and frameworks, Ruby, Python, JavaScript, PHP, and of course, Node. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow, send alerts to Slack or HipChat, Create new issues in Jira or Trello and link your GitHub, Bitbucket, or GitLab repos. We have a special offer for NodeUp listeners. Go to rollbar.com slash NodeUp. Sign up and get the bootstrap plan free for 90 days. Loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, and more. Give Rollbar a try today. Go to rollbar.com slash NodeUp. So, you know, Help me understand how this is not, you know, Python 3000. We're actually getting to a point where an evergreen language, an evergreen node, and like where evergreen in, in our primitives are, you know, viable. We have stability in the platform. We have, you know, this development process that's happening in the language. But, you know, one of the things that has, you know, really, you know, taken note to the next level over the last two or three years has been the stability of the API and the platform. What about backwards compatibility? How do we prioritize that in, you know, the, the, the changes that are nice, good developer experiences, but, you know, are going to eventually lead to leaving behind some of the, the legacy development flows? Well, like you could break compatibility in Node, you just have to stop calling it Node. You know, it would be it would be a new project. I think like so Python Python three came out when Node came out. It was in two thousand nine. So it's literally as old as Node and it's still a problem. <laughs> like and if we did it it would be worse. Python's dependency system is just terrible. And so they don't have a lot of tiny modules that interdepend on them the way that we do. You know, their dependency chains are much, much smaller. And they tend to bundle bundle things up and, and you know, slam them together and off they go. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. at least, like, you know, if your thing doesn't support three, you can try to manually remove it and update it or something. Whereas, like, in Node... You've got dependencies that are four, eight layers deep, you know, a depth of a depth of a depth. Like, how are you going to go and update all of that? So, you know, th- that kind of break is a new platform. 
I think that there may be room for a new platform at some point. Like for a while, I thought that somebody would, you know, take the good ideas of Node and, and do something better. It never happened. Um, now I'm convinced that like people are just going to do that either on top of Node or as like kind of a, a fork of the low level bits now that the native API is there. So, you know, there are definitely like futures where you can see like a new platform coming up that is only these these new APIs. You could even see how, you know, modules written for that system could run in Node, but not the other way. The reality is that, like, you know, until that ecosystem then matures a bit, it's not going to have, you're still going to have to just write too much of your own stuff. And, like, people don't want to write all their own code. <laughs> people want to, you know, use dependencies that exist in, in the ecosystem. Um, so, you know, it, it, it takes a while to build that up. Right. But, you know, I, I guess the, the, the crux of my question was more about the ecosystem you're paving and, you know, the changes that are happening there where, you know, ES modules and async await are going to become more prolific in, you know, the ecosystem level than, you know, platform level. It just moves a lot, lot, lot slower. Well, the the ecosystem can move a lot more nimbly than core can. The ecosystem doesn't Absolutely. have to. The By ecosystem design. can break compatibility, right? Like people just depend on the older version <laughs> until until they, until they take the new one. You, like we can we can see a lot more evolution there. I think that like where this gets kind of muddy is is things that the core platform does need to support. Like I think it's kind of a red herring that we we talk so much about the standard library because it's it's pretty trivial to just kind of wrap whatever methods that you need. What's not trivial, and and this gets so lost in in all the conversation, but like Node has really really excellent debugging around particular patterns, and some of that relies on callbacks, and some of it gets messed up by promises. The people that use that as a as an excuse for being anti-promise just suffer from like an amazing lack of imagination. Like debugging didn't just like land in our laps perfect you know for callbacks like it was it was actually built by people who contributed it and like that you know similar work needs to happen for promise patterns and the more the people use them and the more you see them in production the more that we'll see that improve like it's not there yet because it's a, a fairly new pattern but yeah just this idea that that's like a reason to ignore or or you know i, I think that <laughs> brian cantrell in a talk was saying that we just should have like never encouraged anyone to use these patterns and make them awful <laughs> like that's basically its solution to this problem because the debugging is not good right now but it could be in the future if we just put some effort into it just to add one more point to the backwards compatibility conversation a little bit ago because node is so wonderfully backward compatible at least at the application side of things you can always transpile we have Babel and tools like it right so if you really want to use these new language features but you're stuck with an older runtime like because it's so wonderfully backwards compatible, you can still get it to run. Mm -hmm. If you look at Micro, which is like a Gearmos company, Zite put it out, but it, it's it's like a really small kind of a backend framework, but it, it comes with a command to run it, the Micro command. And if you're on Node 8, it just basically like says Node run this thing. <laughs> but if you're on older ones, it'll actually like, you know, do the work of, of downcompiling, you know, just the features that you didn't have natively. So it's pretty nice. We're about to hit the top of the hour. Why don't we go ahead and wrap up with some, some final words and say goodbye, and we can come back. Hopefully, we'll, we'll continue some of the conversation at Nodges Interactive in Vancouver, the beginning of October. Michael, why don't you kick off the final words here? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I have anything extra to say. I think we pretty much covered everything. <laughs> do you want to pitch something? Just plug something? Oh, yeah, sure. 
patreon.com slash m-i-k-e-a-l michael my name there i'm 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 basically trying to prioritize some of this open source work so the more funding the more that i can prioritize it but also you'll see like a list of the things that i'm kind of actively working on like right now which is hard to tell if you're just kind of looking at github (laughs) you know like what is the thing that you're really focused on so you'll see like you know a link to roll call there and a link to some of the modules that i've been building that are sort of shooting for some some new infrastructure using these newer patterns So we spent a lot of time talking about how great some of these new features are in await and how hard it's going to be to upgrade the entire world to use them, right? For anyone listening, it's probably important to remind them that, that don't worry, all of your existing stuff is totally going to work fine. We're not going to break anything that you're using today. NPM is great. Semver is great. Nothing's getting taken away. I don't know. When I, when I hear things like, how hard it's going to be to change everything. Like that's a choice. That's an opt-in choice. The LTS for the for, for Node is a long time. Like you're gonna be fine. Please help us. Please contribute to, to making these upgrades if, if you can. But like your company won't suddenly stop working because of these crazy changes we're talking about. <laughs> the first rule in JavaScript is don't break the web. That's the first rule. Right. So. There you go, right? <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll wrap it up. Michael has moved away from the administrative stuff. I've increasingly moved into administrative-y things and you know, embraced all of that. I look forward to continuing this discussion, discussions around governance and the, the evolution of Node and how we are integrating and embracing the, these great new patterns that the, the language is giving us and, and allowing us to write more succinctly and better quality code so anytime we, we can achieve better quality with less effort you know it's, it's something that it's, it's really worth diving into and, and embracing so thank you michael thank you evan for for taking the time to start this conversation with me and look forward to seeing everybody at interactive in uh, a few weeks cool cool thanks a lot